I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 13. This is probably the most talked about, movies made about, rock and roll albums with the cover 666 on it. It's the most speculated about chapter in the whole Bible. I've just always kind of been amazed at the fascination that people have with this. My mother, I remember years ago, she called me one day and she says, Honey, we just got our new tag. I said, Okay. She says, It's got the number 666 on it. She says, I don't like that. I said, Well, just tell Daddy to go downtown and get a new tag for the car. She goes, Well, and they live way out in the country, so to go to town was, was a trip. And uh, she says, well, he said that's not necessary. And I said, well, it's not necessary, but if it makes you uncomfortable, then ask Daddy to go get it. He'll do it if you want him to. And she says, you don't think that's the sign of the mark of the beast? I said, no, ma'am, I don't think your license plate from Bibb County, Georgia is the sign of the mark of the beast. Well, she grew up in a church setting, in a situation like some of you grew up, where this was talked about a lot. Even today, today, not even knowing what I was going to be preaching on tonight, someone came to me and they asked me about 666 and what does that mean and should we be concerned? And, and I said, um, well, it's interesting you should say that because I'm going to be talking about that this evening. And um, I see they're not here. They ought to be here. They'd get a little better explanation because I told them I'd share it. And so maybe they'll listen online. But it's been on rock and roll covers with probably some church kid that backslid and turned away from the Lord and thought he knew a little bit about it and got fascinated with the devil and got his tongue sticking out and making the horn symbol and got 666 and blaze. There's been books. If you'll Google it, you'll see all kinds of fancy images. I remember years ago when the... Um, Barcodes. Some of you may not remember this. You've, all, you've never known anything but a barcode. But how many remember when barcodes came out? There was all kind of speculation. That was about 666 and how the Antichrist was going to control the world. People that weren't going to buy groceries anymore. And, and um, it's just amazing to me the things that come up around biblical prophecy. It's important to remember what we said from the very beginning because I think this is probably one of the darker chapters in Revelation. It's probably one of the darkest chapters in the whole Bible. Revelation is about worship. Revelation was written to encourage the church. And it's why we're going through it section by section, not skipping any verses. It's because you need to grasp the whole book rather than what people in the culture do or what some people do when they go and take a little something they don't understand and try to build a whole teaching and theology around that. Revelation is about what's going on in heaven. Revelation is about how God is in control of what's happening here on this earth. Revelation is about our worship of God. It's about worship in eternity. It's about, hello, it's about worship of the angels. It's about victory and triumph. And so when we look at this chapter tonight, 
we're going to be looking at not authentic worship, but we're going to be looking at false worship. We're going to be looking at counterfeit worship in this chapter as we go through it. Now, just kind of to bring you back up to date in, Reve in Revelation chapter 12 that I preached this last message in November before we started our Christmas series, Meet Me at the Manger. The woman gives birth to a son. The devil tries to destroy this, this son. It's, the woman is probably the uh, representative of Israel. They flee to the desert. Somehow or another, God protects them. The dragon represents the devil. It's not really shown to us how he does it. It just shows us that God is in charge. And we went through that chapter, and I told you that you needed that chapter to really understand this chapter this evening. I've also asked you to keep in mind three principles that's important in studying this. There is prophetic interpretation. Prophetic interpretation is what the church has said about the scripture prophetically, the collected wisdom of the church that we have from the Bible date, from the times of the Bible, like the Revelation, all the way through our current times. And that's not to be discounted. It's not to be discounted to read what some of the older interpreters and the older preachers, even those that we can go back as far as origin and read about them and study them. We need to know. One of the principles that is key to that, I think, that we're facing today is there is a group of people in our country that are growing in influence among Christians and lost people who say there is no hell and everybody's going to heaven. It's the old doctrine of universalism. And they basically ignore all the collected wisdom of the church to the centuries and say all the church has been wrong for all these centuries. And it's the ultimate of spiritual pride and arrogance to ignore what the Bible says and says we have a new way of interpretation. That's that principle that we call prophetic speculation. That's just people's ideas. That's where people think about what they think that it might mean. And your speculation and my speculation won't buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But it's amazing how many people will go with speculation rather than go with what I've asked you to look at. And that is prophetic revelation of what the Bible says. So the individual that I was talking to today, I said, what is the first question we always ask at Woodland whenever we're confronted with a question about conduct or a question about faith or a question about missions? And of course, they reveal they really pay attention on Sunday morning. They says, the first thing we do is we go to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say? And so I've tried to limit my comments to what the Bible says. And when I have made interpretation, I've tried to tell you this is what I see, this is, and I mainly go with what I believe is the collective wisdom of the church, and then I try to show you maybe some of the things that have been speculatively, prophetically said. So if you would, stand with me tonight, because all of that is very important for this chapter, especially since it's one of the most talked about chapters in the Bible. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the, where, where was he rising up out of? All right, it's important. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Where was Paul? I mean, excuse me, where was John? He was on the island of Patmos, okay? He's surrounded by the ocean. Jewish people expected the Antichrist to come from the sea. 
and you'll pardon me just a little bit, but you know, I am just a little, I should have drank one cup of coffee before the, the service tonight, but I'm just a little bit sleepy here. My bedtime is coming quick. So if I stumble on a word, you just help me. It had seven heads and two horns, excuse me, and 10 horns. I told you I was sleepy. And 10 crowns on its horns. Written on each head were names that blasphemed God. And the beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. If you've ever watched the Harry Potter movies, you've seen a griffin. Gryffindor, you've seen the griffin? That's what's being described right there with the, the body of the leopard. And the dragon gave the beast its own power and throne and great authority. And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who's as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who's able to fight against him? I'll tell you who's able to fight against him. His name is Jesus. Amen? We can stop right there and go home. So who's able to fight against him? King Jesus is. So who's able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak Notice that word, allowed. Was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. He was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb. Who does the book of life belong to? To the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Jesus. These are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. And anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth, and he had two horns like those of a like those of a lamb. But he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He's, in other words, the priest of this first beast. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. With all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded <clears throat> that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number represented his name. Wisdom is needed here. What's needed? Wisdom. Where can we find wisdom? In the Bible. What's a great book in the Bible to find wisdom? Proverbs. Wisdom is needed here. Now remember, they would have had the book of Proverbs in the Jewish canon then. 
Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, would you give us the encouragement and the strength and the clarity that you gave the early church and you gave to all of the church through the ages from 81 all the way to 2019, Lord, the encouragement that we need from reading this chapter. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, as I said earlier, this chapter is all about first false worship. And there's so much in this chapter that I'm going to kind of have to gloss over some things that I would really love to talk about, but we would be here for a long time, but I'll be happy to answer any questions that I can answer um, tonight right after the service. If you have some that you'd like to ask, just write it out on the side of your outline and we'll sit and talk for a while if you would. Well, let's look at the sea beast first. Let's reread those first two verses. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Well, the three interpretations to this, I think any one of them could be correct. I think a combination of all three of them could be correct. The first is the Roman, the Roman government in the first century. When Becky and I toured ancient Rome and we walked through some of those palaces and some of the ruins and the Colosseum, we went to the maritime prison where Paul was, was martyred at. We, we just, you know, we so many things that we saw and learned while we were there. All of this became very, very real to me. For Nero was blamed, and even Roman historians say that Nero blamed the fire on the Christians that destroyed Rome because people were blaming him for the fire. And so he would light them, use them as human torches for his parties. We've talked about that here in church before, so I don't think I need to, to really say a lot about that. But if you'll remember when we studied the seven churches as we began this series, we talked about how the Christians would not burn incense and say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar didn't care how many gods you worshipped as long as you were willing to say Caesar is Lord. And so Christians were put into jail. Christians were executed because they knew that to confess that anyone or anything else was Lord other than Christ was a sin. And so rather than sin against God, they would not say it. And you would think today in this modern political age we're in when we're told that all religions are the same, it doesn't take much to think or to imagine someone standing up today and say, listen, God doesn't want you to suffer. God doesn't want you to have any trouble. All you've got to do is drop a pinch of incense. God knows your heart. You can just say Caesar is Lord and you can go to your church and you can worship or you can go to your synagogue and worship or you can go to your mosque and worship or you can choose not to go to worship, but it's no big deal. Just say Caesar is Lord. The early church was much more faithful and stalwart and courageous in their faith. And I think part of what is happening here is that we're being seen the power of evil. Of course, another interpretation, one that I primarily think is more about what this is about, more than the Roman government, I do believe that the church could see it as the Roman government, and I'll get into that in a minute. 
But I believe that in any generation, in any age, there had been the opportunity, if God had allowed, that the opportunity for the Antichrist to show his hand and to reveal himself. Because there have been so many despots that have ruled, not only Nero, but there have been others through the ages that have ruled. There was even a time where, you know, Martin Luther called the Pope the Antichrist, and the Antichrist, excuse me, and the Pope called Martin Luther the Antichrist. And so there's been all this back and forth from Hitler and Mussolini. We've talked about that in this series as well, and how that people have made everybody from Gorbachev to President Reagan. You can take anybody's name. I could take your name with mathematics and a calculator. I could take your name in a little while by just doing some fancy calculations, and I can make anyone's name in here turn out to be 666. And so it's important that we not just go with the speculation, but we understand this really is talking about powers and rulers. And then, of course, the Bible tells us that there's just going to be this one great final world leader that arises, that this one great final world leader, Paul refers to him as the man of sin. The horns, as I've told you before, when we were preaching through the book of Daniel, if you remember back that far, the horns are always a symbol of power or the symbols of a political power or the symbols of a ruler. So when you're looking at the horns, you're looking at, at rulers. So there were naturally some who thought if it was the Roman, if you could go back to the first interpretation, the Roman government, there were some people that believed that when the EU was reestablished that this was the old government being reestablished and that this was going to be where the Antichrist came from, but then they had a problem when the EU became more than 10 nations. Then you, you can move back to where we were at just now. But if you'll look with me at verse 7, excuse me, at Daniel chapter 7, I'll take you back to where we talked about some of this. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. And the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. It was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast that looked like a bear. It was rearing up on its side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. This was talking about three nations that it destroyed. I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads, and great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, Daniel, if we remember, if we went through this, I talked about what kingdoms that this represented and how we could track this through history. And I gave you a few notes there that you may want to look at later. But there would be a dominant ruler, a final beast that would come, according to Daniel, and in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and verse 25, and then you can also compare chapter 9 and verse 25 through 27, if you want to write that down, there would be a dominant ruler that would arise and he would persecute the saints for three and a half years. Jewish tradition, now this is important to understand because a lot of times the prophetic speculators that I read, and I've read so many commentaries on Revelation, so many books on Revelation, a lot of times they ignore this aspect. Jewish tradition, and remember, John was Jewish, and the early church was primarily Jewish. They expected this Roman revival. There was a rumor going around after Nero committed suicide 
that Nero was going to be resurrected. That rumor swept throughout the Roman kingdom that he would come back. There were some that believed he never really did die, like some people believe Elvis never really died, and some people believe that Adolf Hitler never really died. And so they expected Nero to come back. So you can see how this would have fit in the early church's understanding, if you keep that in mind, there was an expected ruler to come. But the beast in Revelation is very different from the beast in Daniel because it is a composite of all of these beasts. And that's very important to understand. Because those early Christians expected that Nero would return, I don't believe from what I've read, and my reading is, is not as, as wide as, say, someone who can read the original languages fluently, but in reading, I have never found anything where they, they read as they believed that there would be a resurrection of Nero. It was more like maybe he really didn't die, that Nero was going to return. And my answer to that has always been this. Whatever spirit has motivated those despots, whether it's been Nero or whether it's been Hitler, whether it's been a Pol Pot, that spirit of the wicked one has always been around and he's just looking for someone who loves power so much and dominance so much that he can use that person. Does that make sense? And so it's not necessarily <clears throat> the person, and as we get into this, I think you will, you will understand more and more. The question is asked in verse 4, who's like the beast? Who's like the beast? In other words, they're trying to give the beast the glory that belongs to God. That's the reason I say this is false worship. Because you have heard there is none as holy as the Lord. You have heard God's name proclaimed. You have heard God lifted up. But in contrast to what's going to happen, Jesus who was God, was resurrected from the dead and had defeated death and ruled all of the domains of heaven, earth, and hell, the question really should be asked, not who can make war against the beast, but who can make war against the Lord? And the answer to that question is nobody can. This is a political leader then that you're looking at, and this political leader is going to lead through intimidation. So you're looking at a worldwide political leader who wants to lead for intimidation. You say, well, where is the encouragement there? The encouragement there is that the wound to the head, this is a weak leader. This is a weak ruler. This, this wound to the head shows that this enemy is not like Jesus. This enemy can be defeated. And this enemy or this nation falls, it will rise again. That's the reason that some people believe that it could be Rome that people will worship this leader. This pe people will worship this ruler. They're going to, it's like the old Bob Dylan song, if you remember when Bob Dylan wrote the song, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. There was a famous evangelist who's been dead for a number of years, and I can't remember his name right now, but I remember listening to him speak when I was a young man, and he says, people are going to worship someone or something. He said, people are so gullible that you could take a cow down the streets of New Orleans and say, this is God, and you're going to find a following. Well, people catcalled, people hooted at him, and yet when I was in India sitting in a beautiful home, the doors were open, and two cows walked right through the house, stopped in the living room while we was talking. The, my hosts were so reverent towards this cow. They were not Christians, these two cows. And we had to wait on the cows to go through. And, and when the cows went through, they felt so blessed that the cows had chose their home to go through. 
I was respectful, but there were so many questions I wanted to ask. Like, what do you do if the cow does what cows do in your living room, you know? But I, actually, I was afraid to hear the answer to that question. Well, what, what this evangelist was getting at is that people are going to worship somebody. What the, the lyricist and the artist and the, the, the singer Bob Dylan was getting at, people are going to worship somebody. And if you don't worship the Lord, you are open to the blindness whatever the enemy can deceive you with. And he speaks great blasphemies against God. He gives you all the reasons why you can't believe in God. And it's interesting to me, Jesus doesn't, listen, Jesus doesn't go around talking about the devil. When he does, it's just very cut. I saw him fall. I saw him, you know, defeated. You know what? You can tread on top of him. You have victory. Jesus doesn't go in. And sometimes I get really worried about Christians that get so obsessed about the devil and so obsessed about the devil's power and so obsessed about what the devil's doing here and so obsessed about, if you'd get obsessed with Jesus the way you're obsessed about the devil, you'd live in a lot greater victory. And so that's the key thing. Jesus just didn't obsess about, he obsessed about the glory of God. He obsessed about lost people. He obsessed about the plan of God. He obsessed about Calvary. What, stay obsessed with what God is. But this beast is so insecure, it's like some late night television show host. It's like some actors. It's like some people constantly blaspheming the name of God, constantly wanting to point out and tell you all the faults of God. And, and God has no faults, but it's these imaginations. So there's this great blasphemy. What you're looking at is there's a real struggle going on. The church, we've already looked at how the church is raptured out of here before this happens. The followers of Jesus are raptured out of here. There follows a seven-year tribulation period. And in the middle of this tribulation period, this beast will arise and there will be people that have given their hearts to Christ. They will come to have known Christ and this beast will begin to persecute them. And what's going on here is he, the false beast, this, this demonically inspired world ruler, this demonically inspired nation, this demonically inspired political power, ever how it manifests itself, is going to try and capture the souls and the hearts of people. I can illustrate this best by telling you that right now, I just recently made a list of 21 things that politicians are trying to capture the heart of Americans on. As I made that list of 21 things and began to list biblical verses to the side of it, not only abortion right up to the day of birth, but now there are a certain group of elite, educated people who are saying that the viability of a child really doesn't take place until around five years old. So if your child is defective, you can have that child euthanized. It's the barbarism that comes about. It's the doing away and the indoctrination of, of the genders of men and women. And to do away with that. And to do away with it in the name of love. That somehow or another, if we believe that a woman is a woman and a man is a man and we profess that belief to the exclusion of other then somehow or another we're hate-filled not love-filled it's the belief that somehow or another that profits are wrong and so that if you're in a middle class income tax bracket the government should have the right not only to confiscate your income to do what they want to do with it but 
to also confiscate the profits of your companies to do what they want to do with it. And it is the government's responsibility to provide you a job. And if you don't like that job, it's the government's responsibility to find you a job. And I could go on with this list of 21 things that I've lifted out of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and the Washington Post as I've gone through and just began to list what direction, trying to figure out what direction is our nation going in? What directions are we leaning in? And all of these things are anti-biblical in their stance because everything is going to give in the government more and more power because the government would be benevolent. And friends, there has never been a benevolent government which all of that power has been concentrated into one group or into one party or to in one person. They've always determined how you could live, how you could worship, where you could live, what you could make. Now, I believe we're still a long way from that, but these are not speculations. These are ideas that are being talked about Two of these people who propose these ideas, one sits on the finance committee now, and one is, is, the, chair of, is the chairman of the, I shouldn't say the chairman, now I won't even say the committee that I wanted to say, but are on these committees, and they believe these things. So you need to see, when we read this, we don't need to be discouraged, but we need to understand the times that we're living in. We're not in the tribulation, but when that time comes, this time will look like Disneyland compared to that time. And this time doesn't compare to what it must have been like in other times in our nation's history or in other times in world history. It's important to note that the beast was a loud authority. The loud authority comes from God. God allows this. You have to ask yourself, why is God allowing this? And I want to make a bold statement, and I want you to listen to me carefully. It's not one I make just thoughtlessly. The Antichrist is God's pawn. The Antichrist is, if Martin Luther was correct, and I believe he was, that the devil is God's devil and God has got him on a short leash, you need to understand that the Antichrist, he's not anyone to be feared by you and I. No nation, no political power, no revived kingdom, whatever it may look like, is anyone to be feared. They're the pawn of God. And we ought to give the Lord a hand of praise for that. It's why, as I've studied these things over the years and sat in them and waited till I was in my 60s to preach my first series on this, because I didn't want to have to back up and go, I was wrong on this, or back up and go, I was wrong on that. One of the things that I love about reading the Puritan preachers is what they preached they never had to back upon and change their mind about. I've never stood up and said, the Lord gave me this vision or the Lord showed me this is what, and tried to, you stick with what the word says, amen? amen? And so I look at this now and I go, if revelation was meant to encourage the church, and obviously there's gonna be suffering, God's been very honest about that, there's going to be suffering, there were people who suffered God wanted you to know, don't fear anything. Don't love your life more than you love God. Because when this life is over, life really just begins. And how many times I have encouraged people with that as I've stood by their bedside while they've slipped into eternity and said, do not fear, do not be afraid if they've been awake and to share with them what awaits them through that thin veil that we call death. Poor Lazarus. 
God raised him from the dead only for him to have to die all over again. I think I would have had an issue with that. I love the story. Great man of God. God used him to do so many miracles. He was always faithful to the word. Becky and I became friends with um, a lady that uh, Agnes Thomas that I've talked to you about before that her father worked for him. She grew up sitting in Smith Wigglesworth's lap. Father traveled with him and then when she and her husband got married, they went to work for Smith and Smith told the Lord when he first felt the call to preach, he says, God, if I ever get a hole in the bottom of my shoe, that'll be a sign that you're not providing for my needs and so I won't preach any longer. And he always, he, he didn't live extravagantly, but he preached the word. People were healed. Miracles happened, but he always just preached Jesus. His wife died. His wife died and he went in and prayed for her, for God to raise her from the dead. As Agnes was telling us this story, I was laughing and crying at the same time. He was just praying, he pounding on her, praying for her, and finally she opened up her eyes and says, Smith, Jesus has called me home. It's better with him than you. Let me go. Huh? Let me go. And I got to tell you, when I think of what lies on the other side, you will never regret suffering for the name of Jesus if you have to do that. And none of us have ever had to do that. None of us have ever had to suffer like other people in our world suffer. This beast, this kingdom is only temporary. And I got to tell you something else. As I read, especially like Revelation chapter 9, as I read the book of Daniel, I think the beast is making some false claims. I don't know if you ever go online and read the Washington Post Pinocchio check. You know, when politicians say things and they fact check them and they do Pinocchio noses, sometimes their lie is maybe not as big as some of it, but the nose can either be this big or it can be way out here. And I just love getting the fact checks and then they'll give you the sources to go back and forth. I just love that part. And y'all pray, I need to be delivered of a love of politics. But I just, I love it and I eat that stuff up. But you know, I think the Antichrist has got a Pinocchio factor going on. He claims to rule the whole world, but Revelation 9 makes it clear the kings of the East don't bow to him and submit to him. I think he's trying to make a boast. As I said earlier, he'll rule through intimidation. Augustus claimed that he ruled the whole world, but that was just propaganda. He never conquered the Parthenians. Well, let me just give you a couple examples. Michael Sattler was a Protestant during the time of the persecution of the Protestants by the Catholics. He prayed for his, he prayed for his, his persecutors and would preach to them and ask them to be converted. They burned him to death anyway. Derek Williams escaped from the Catholics across a frozen lake. But when his pursuer chased him across that frozen lake and fell through the ice, Pastor Williams went back across the lake and he rescued him, pulled him out of the water, resuscitated him, and took care of him. And because he did this, it delayed his journey and it allowed his captors to catch him. And they burned him alive at the stake. When he was asked why he did it, he said, because that's what Jesus would do. Another Protestant pastor was sent to his martyrdom and he told his congregation, I don't want you to come. I don't want you to be there when they burn me at the stake. He says, there's only one needed for sacrifice. You pray, you share the good news. I used to take pastors to where they strangled and choked William Tyndale to death and then burned his body and scattered his ashes. 
And we'd stand there and we'd ask ourselves the question, if that sort of persecution came to us, would we be willing to do that? You see, these people died in a spirit that imitates revelation to me. Just like the early church died in the Colosseum. Just like Christians are dying in North Africa today. And I think it's important for us to understand that what's being said to us is be thou faithful even unto death. Do not take for granted. What I also think it says, that dark time in the church's history came about because the church and the government got in bed together. And nothing good has ever happened when the government and the church got in bed together. Christians and Republicans are not the same thing. Christians and Democrats are not the same thing. Christians and Americans are not the same thing. Christians have one allegiance, and that's to Jesus Christ. And that's what makes us good citizens. That's what makes us good Christians. Let's look at, secondly, the beast of the earth. And it's taking me a little longer here. Are you still tracking with me? Then I saw another beast <coughs> come up out of the earth, and he had two horns like those of a lamb. But he spoke with the voice of a dragon, and he exercised all the authority of the first beast and required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I used to wonder, how could everybody watch? Back in the 70s when I was a Bible college student, back in the 80s, and then something called CNN came along. Remember that? And then suddenly we could see live, and it changed the world. Well, it used to take months for news to travel across the world to be printed to our grandparents for them to read about what happened in Europe. We know that day or what happened in Asia. We know that very day. Now we know on our telephones, we know on our iPads, we're watching news at all times around the world. And it's amazing to me, the technology and what it is allowed to happen. So this is not beyond belief while everyone was watching. There was all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast. He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. Now, let me, he, he, let me read on just a little bit more before I make the comment. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. And some of the cultures and some of the nations, I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have, not because I'm afraid of them. Let me, let me be sure and say that. Not because I'm afraid of them. I just don't like what they were dedicated to. But in some of these cultures where I have been and lived, not lived, but stayed for weeks to preach, whether it's a witch doctor or whether it's a shaman or whether it's somebody that worships some demonic spirit, they will make these idols and they're constantly inviting these demonic spirits to come and live in those idols. Now, we know they can't happen, but that's what they're doing is they're, they want the, some sort of spirit to inhabit that idol because then suddenly that would, if that idol moved or if that idol spoke, I could take you into Paraguay where a group of people built a giant, I've been up in it, a giant idol. And because they couldn't get the spirits to move in that idol, then what they did is they went up there and would move its mouth and, and they would make smoke come out of its nose and fire come out of its mouth and they would speak and kept people in subjugation. 
because there's always this desire in religion. Remember Sunday we talked about we're not into religion, we're into a relationship with Jesus. There's always this desire in religion to have power. And so it's, here we have false power. There are counterfeit miracles. I mean, miracles don't impress me. I want miracles like for Fred tonight. I want a miracle from God for Josiah. I want a miracle for Karen that we prayed for tonight. I want a miracle for Pastor Rick. But it doesn't matter if it's a miracle or if it's medicine. I just want them well. And that's the point. Jesus, you know, would say, don't ask for a sign. And so what's important to see right here is this false prophet is allowed by God. And the devil is allowed to do something in such a powerful way with these false miracles, counterfeit miracles in the statue so it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. So don't look at that and go, that's hyperbole or exaggeration. There will be deception like you've never known during this time. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy, sell anything without that mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for its number it is the number of man. His number is 666. The beast is imitating the Lamb of God, which is Jesus. The beast from the sea and the beast of the land is nothing but a parody. A parody is a sarcastic reproduction. It's a counterfeit. And tr the devil is trying to reproduce what Christ did in dying for our sins upon the cross. The two horns are like a lamb. He looks like a lamb. Remember Jesus' teaching of wolves and sheep's clothing? You know people by their fruit, right? You, you know, we, don't, we are not judgmental, but we judge people by their fruit. We judge people by their lifestyle. We judge people by the things they do, good or bad. There are certain people that you trust because you have discerned, you have judged by the way they do business or the way they've done life, their word can be trusted. If they tell you they're going to pay you, they're going to pay you. Or you just know you can trust your children with them. If you're a young parent, you use a lot of great judgment and discretion. You're foolish if you don't use judgment or discretion. I had a lunch with a friend of mine today who is, is Muslim. And um, he was telling me a story. He's, he's, he's dark-complected. Uh, his wife is, is light-complected. They have a daughter, blonde hair and green eyes. She wanted a pet. He took her to the pet store because he's Muslim, dark-skinned, dark-complected. Took his daughter to the <clears throat> pet store, and the owner of the pet store called her over and says, Are you okay? Do you need help? It's safe here. And she goes, Yeah, I'm okay. He goes, Honey, it's safe here. You can tell me the truth. Are you... I can call the police. Do you need the police? She goes, Daddy! And he comes over. But what I love about my friend is he said, I totally understand. He told the manager of the owner of the store, he says, you did a very good thing. He said, I'm not offended. Thank you for looking out and for caring. 
That's the mark of a good and decent human being. He didn't wig out and go ballistic. He knew that the man was thinking, it's, it's a dangerous time we live in. My point in telling you this is, don't let people tell you that you can't be discerning or you can't judge character. What we can't be is judgmental. We don't know what it is in other people's hearts. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, and I, I, I was just very proud of him. How do you, how do you know? Because though he looked like a lamb, he spoke with the voice of a dragon. What's the content of his speech? What's the conduct of his character? He's a counterfeit Christ. And this leader, the political leader leads through intimidation, but this spiritual leader leads through deception. This spiritual leader leads through deception. And I can tell you time and time again, people have told me, I, I had to deal with a situation before I moved up here with a man who was a liar, a man who was a thief, a man, just a number of things, but he was just, you know, people were just so taken in by, you know, his speech and what he did, and I can remember somebody saying to me, but, you know, he just can't be. How could he do this? And I says, if he lies, he's a liar. If he steals, he's a thief. You judge a person by what they do. So a spiritual leader leads to deception. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that I love them. I read them over and over again. But you remember the ape and the donkey from the last battle? Look at this. I'll read you just a bit of it. A good deal of puzzle. That was the donkey's gray nose and face could be seen through the open mouth of the lion's head. No one had ever seen a real lion would have been taken in for a moment. But if someone who had never seen a lion looked at puzzle in his lion's skin, he just might mistake him for a lion if he didn't come too close and if the light was not too good and if Puzzle didn't let out a bray and didn't make any noise with his hooves. You look wonderful, wonderful, said the ape. If anyone saw you now, they would think you were Aslan the great lion himself. What the ape wanted to do was to use the donkey to deceive people and to gain power and influence over them. And the poor donkey was going, oh, I hope not, I hope not. But the key statement is there, if anyone had never seen a lion, and if the light wasn't good, he might would have mistaken. That's why it's important not just to look at the appearance, but what's coming out of the mouth and the life of a person. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me real quickly, so I can wrap this up for you tonight. This, this false prophet will exercise the authority of the first beast. This political leader will give this, this priest his authority. Now let me say something right here. And I may I make some people upset every time I say this. I don't believe this is the Pope. It might be a Pope. I don't believe it's Benny Hinn. It might be some charismatic leader like Benny Hinn. I don't believe it's any preacher right now or religious leader. I don't believe it's the Dalai Lama. But I believe that anybody who loves power more than they love Jesus could be susceptible to becoming this kind of person. Now that's very important to understand. Any person that loves power, I believe it's in 3 John, I might be corrected, but I can look it up for you in just a New York minute. I didn't put this in my notes, but it just crossed my mind. Where John writes about a certain leader he's going to deal with when he gets to town because he loves to have preeminence among the saints. Jesus was never about preeminence. Jesus was about loving us and serving us and dying for us. 
and he ever intercedes for us. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that tonight? That's so important to understand. Now, the fact that he performs miraculous signs, that doesn't mean anything. He will order that image. I've talked about that. He'll order everyone to receive a mark. So let's talk about that for just a moment as we get ready to wrap up. The mark of the beast, the number 666. He's going to order everybody to receive that. Why? Because the beast will rule through deception and believers are going to need wisdom. Let's look at that passage. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Are you ready? I don't believe it's a credit card. I don't believe it's a chip put in your hand. Every time there's been a change, it was credit cards, that was going to be the mark of the beast. It was ATM machines. When I was in Europe, <clears throat> and I remember that you could pay for our gas, we could pay for our groceries just long before we could do that here in the United States. Europe was going cashless. When the chips came out, remember when you got your little chips to make your card more secure? Now they're saying that's not secure. The chips came out. That was the mark of the beast. When people talk about getting a chip in their hand now so they can get into a building, I'm not going to let anybody put a chip in my hand, but it has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. On my iPhone, Becky knows where I'm at all the time. So sometimes when Amy is with Becky, she'll grab my iPhone, Becky's iPhone, and she'll call me. She says, what are you doing at Starbucks? <laughs> she'll call me and she'll say, what are you doing there? Why are you in Farmington Hills? And Amy loves the fact that she knows where I'm at all the time. Do you see where I'm going with this? I'm not putting a chip in my hand where the company or the government or anybody else can keep a track on everywhere I go. I'm not, you know, that should, it's not because it's the mark of the beast. And you don't have to worry. Number one, I don't believe we're going to be here. And like I've told you before, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, and the rapture happens and we're still here, well, the rapture won't happen if we're still here. But if I'm wrong, you've asked me, what are you going to say? I'm going to say, I was wrong. Get ready, baby. Here it comes. You know, if I'm wrong. But you will have to take the mark of the beast because you are worshiping them. You will know I'm doing this because I'm worshiping the mark of the beast. It's not going to be trickery or deceit. It's going to be you have chosen to worship the beast. That's what this is all about. Counterfeit worship and the deception that will lead people. That's why it's important to read your Bible. Every single week, and I don't get tired of this, please don't misunderstand this, but I do get exasperated. Say that word, exasperated. I deal with stuff that people are sweating over because they don't read their Bibles. Or somebody has told them something that's prophetic speculation or prophetic interpretation rather than going and just reading their Bible. And when I said, a lady comes into my office, doesn't go to our church, but a lady comes to my office. She's got marriage problems. She wants help. She's heard I can help her. I said, ma'am, I can't help you, but I can take you to the Bible and I can show you what the Bible says and pray with you and God will help you. I don't want to hear the Bible. I need help. I said, ma'am, 
The greatest help in the world is in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I know all of that. And I just finally said, says, number one, I don't think you're a Christian. And number two, you don't know nothing. <laughs> she looked, why don't you think I'm a Christian? Because a Christian wants to know what God has to say. And number two, you don't know anything when you think that a counselor's words or my words are worth more than the word of God. Human beings will never have a better idea than God. Does that make sense? Never have a better idea. Well, what's the wisdom? It's found right here. His number is 666. What's the number of God? Seven. What is seven? We talked about this several times in the early parts of Seven was the number of perfection. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've got this trinity of false prophet, false beast, his, and, and, and the Antichrist. You've got this trinity here of 666, which stands for the perfect trinity of imperfection. It's the work of man. It's the exalting of man. It's the lie of Lucifer. I will exalt my throne above God. That's what he said in the book of Isaiah. The beast you saw, he goes on, and, and, and we'll get to this later, but let me just see, because they would have heard all of this at one time. You and I were taking months to go through this. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottom of split pit and go into eternal destruction. I left out an ellipsis there. There's a little more in that verse, but you can read it later. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. What's he saying? That beast is doomed. Look at Revelation 4.8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Amen. There's the counterfeit. There's the real McCoy, or the real deal. So you look into counterfeit resurrection, counterfeit worship, counterfeit rule, counterfeit miracles. All I want to say here as I wrap it up is all the devil knows how to do is to counterfeit. And I am so sorry I've gone so much longer over this than what I intended. I use the illustration of my Muslim friend for a real reason tonight. Let me get down to the bottom of my notes here. Number one, I love him. I'm proud that he calls me friend and I can call him friend. Of course I want to see him become a follower of Jesus. He probably wants to see me become a follower of Allah. I don't have a problem with that. We're just building a relationship, a friendship. But you'll never know just how God is going to use you we're in this series, God Friended Me. I got a call today. He says, Pastor, are you going to be still preaching this series next Sunday, God Friended Me? And I go, yes. I said, two more Sundays. I have two more messages I want to talk about. He says, I'm bringing some lost people with me to church on Sunday. I've told them about it. They're interested. They want to hear. Boris Cornfield was a Jewish doctor. Wasn't a Christian was very hostile about God in his state of despair in his state of bitterness 
became a fighter against the communist government. He ended up being thrown into the gulag. Angry at people, angry at a God he no longer believed in. But the sovereignty of God was so manifest there that he took care of another bitter, angry man. Matter of fact, no one else would take care of this man. But he took care of a man that would become a passionate follower of Christ, would shake the world with his books, would shake Harvard University. And you know by now who I'm talking about, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. God used an unbelieving man, preserved his life, to help another man live so that he would become a Christian shake the intelligentsia of Europe and the United States up. And after a while, the intelligentsia of Europe and the United States finally said, we no longer want to hear from you because he kept calling out America's sins and Europe's sins. He kept calling out their religious lukewarmness. And you would ask yourself, why was he like this? It's because he loved Jesus. And he was willing to be isolated. He was willing to be ostracized by the very people who welcomed him because he spoke out against the Russian government's cruel oppression, not only of Christians, but of Jews and other minorities. But there came a price, time, where he had to pay a price with the people who bought his books, who invited him in to speak, he had to pay a price for his faith in God. And rather than water down his message, he simply lost speaking engagements. Harvard University put out a paper condemning him and blasting him because of his intolerance. We don't need to be frightened by people who say, if we believe God's word, we're hate-filled. We know better than that. We don't need to be frightened of people who say we're intolerant if we believe God's Word. We need to fear just the Lord, and we need to live like the Lamb and speak in love like the Lamb and be the salt and the light in this dark world and love not our lives even unto the death because this book was written to say, I don't care what you're going through. God won't let it last too long can make it. He'll pull you through. Amen? Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Becky, lead us in this course tonight. Put it up on the screen if you can find it. This is the air I breathe. Can you put that course back up for me? This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence spoken
without you, Jesus. And I am desperate for you. pray that tonight we have looked into the very face of God as we've worshipped and that with you at our side and through the wisdom and through the lens of the word of the Lord we have looked into the very face of evil and saw there's nothing really there we've looked into the very face of darkness and saw that for whatever the reason, for a period of time, you will allow this contest for the souls of those that are left behind after the rapture. But we've also solved, and we will see even more, that those that do not love their life to the very end, that they are more than conquerors. This evil, wicked, tripart 666 shall be caught, tossed into the lake of fire forever and ever. <laughs> Help us not to fear all of the sensational and dramatic stuff that comes up like 666. We're not going to be deceived. No one's going to come in and force us to take the mark of the beast. Jesus will either say I'm going to serve the Lord or I'm going to serve the devil but as for Becky and I we and our children we're going to serve the Lord for it's in Jesus name I pray and everybody said amen and amen I hope that I've desensationalized some of this stuff but if you have questions because of things you've read or watched in times past I'll be happy to talk with you about it as long as I can stay awake okay God bless you. Good night.